What is happening, everyone? Thank you so much for tuning in to Backmarker Podcast. It is a day late. I apologize for that. I had family over yesterday and didn't want to wake them all up or keep them up listening to me rabble on Babylon about something that they don't care about, which is their loss. So anyway, let's get on with it. Uh, we're just going to talk about F1. Um, maybe it might be short. It might not be depending on how much, how long of a rant I want to go on without peeing. Uh, because obviously that's going to take up most of the time. Um, but let's get started. Uh, so the Belgian Grand Prix. And this, this is why I, this race was why I defend tracks like these so much is because with where they are in terms of of um, the areas, I shouldn't say areas, but like the topography and stuff like that, where where weather just rolls in unexpectedly and creates absolute chaos for strategies and neutralizes the field. For, to an extent, for a period of time. This is why I love these tracks, like Spa, um, and to get away from throwing one like Le Mans. Um, but, you know, the race was pretty good. I, I It had a lot of excitement, especially seeing um, Albon just pass everyone in the streets without DRS and then have to hang on um, into the twisty bits. Um, and then obviously Max Verstappen marching through the field and, you know, that first, it's kind of funny how in the sprint, Lewis Hamilton got penalized for what I think a lot of people, um, most people would say objectively was a racing incident. Um, and yet. Carlos Sainz or Oscar Piastri, they weren't penalized at all. Neither one of them were penalized um, for that turn one inc- for the turn one crash. Even though you could argue that that one was more egregious than Lewis Hamilton, um, I haven't taken a look at uh, Checo Perez's on board for the sprint. That's my fault. But in all honesty, I don't think I need to look at it. Um, just talking about that that incident with him in Hamilton because he was struggling with handling of his car long before uh, Hamilton caught up to him. And it was a wet track. It was a wet track and Hamilton tried to make a move on the inside. It appeared that he caught the curbs. So maybe that's what caused um, some understeer. But again, he was trying to make a move and he was almost wheel to wheel with him. And just got on the steer and, and hit the side pod of, hit, hit Checo's side pod. And he was penalized five seconds for it. I, I, if it was, if it was a dry condition and, or Lewis Hamilton opened his hands up, then I could totally understand the penalty. But what, what does, what does it, what does the FIA and I, and the race director want want them to do? Do they want them just to parade around, maintain position, and parade around for until the until the checkered flag? Like, what the fuck are we doing? Are we racing or are we parading? I I don't get it. 
Um, and I know some people are going to cringe at this and probably throw throw the phone or what or whatever they're listening to this to against the wall, but it wasn't that bad under with with Massey at the wheel. It really wasn't. Just saying. Um, but you know, getting away from that, it the the race in itself was was pretty good. Um, and it's been a couple of days, so let me just go through F one. So let's just go through the standings to refresh my memory. Obviously, Max Verstappen won um, twenty two seconds over his teammate Checo. Again, that penalty that that the FIA instilled on on Red Bull definitely paying off. Sarcasm. Uh, Charles Leclerc finished out the podium. Hamilton fourth. Alonso with the resurgent Aston Martin fifth. Uh, Russell sixth. Lando in the um, anti-resurgent McLaren uh, seventh. Ocon eighth. Stroll ninth. Sonoda tenth, which was a very good showing for him. Um, Pierre Gasly was 11th, Botas 12th, Guan Yu Zhou 13th, Rocket Albon in 14th, and the American team, K Mags, is the highest finishing of the Haas at 15th. Whoa. Uh, Danny, Rick- Danny 16th, Logan Sargent 17th, Nico 18th, and of course, Carlos and Oscar DNF'd. Um, and to just touch on McLaren, uh, the McLaren kind of dismal performance, um, the F1 TV, they said that uh, their setup was had a little bit more downforce, but it was kind of interesting. Let me see if I can pull up the McLaren... Andrea Stella had some has some interesting comments about it. So this this article is courtesy of Motorsport.com and and Matt Q. Uh, McLaren requires urgent work after Belgian Grand Prix reality check. Uh, let me just I'm just browsing through this. Um, so who's, whose quote is this? Stella. Okay. So this is a quote from Stella. He said that this weekend told us that where this weekend told us that where we could do work. Okay. I not really understand that, but whatever. Uh, the cars improved in some areas. This was confirmed, but at the same time, this weekend confirmed the areas that we haven't addressed yet. Uh, gives us a reality check that there's more work to do and to some extent confirms that those areas they need to be addressed quite urgently. This urgency, for instance, comes from the fact that the second race after the summer break is Monza. You can't go racing Monza Monza like we did in Spa. So it sounds to me like they... It sounds to me like they're, they have the opposite problem that Williams has. Williams is extremely fast if not the fastest car in a straight line 
And it sounds like McLaren um, is the opposite. They're faster in the turns and extremely slow in in the straights. Um, and then this, this just to add, and then Stella. This is another continue on the quote from Stella. We have to we have to very frankly admit that while this configuration gave us an advantage. In the previous days, uh, the Grand Prix was starting to be a significant... The GP was starting to be a significant issue. Um, overall, let's say that there's some learning we take out of this weekend. I think the opportunity to, to remark is not like we necessarily wanted to fit, target this configuration. Um, so the configuration that he's talking about, uh, McLaren Spalvo and Benha was on account of having piled, having piled design and production resources into bringing the radical update, but the trade-off meant turning up... To, the high-speed circuit without an optimized low-drag rear wing specification. So there you have it. Um, their rear wing basically sucks, basically sucks in the straight line. So yeah, you've got these older tracks like Spa and Monza um, where they're going to show up their weakness, which is kind of interesting, being that in Silverstone they were really good, and that's kind of a high-speed track. But anyway. Um, interesting comments from Andrea Stella um, basically saying that there's a lot more work to be done and you know these high speed these high speed tracks are going to really compromise them um, so yeah let's move on to the big issue and that is Alpine um, I talked last week about Otmar Zafnauer and hopefully, you know, everyone thought that with Rossi gone, Otmar was going to be able to do what he needed to do. Um, I think 99% of people were blindsided about, blindsided with him and, um, Alan Permain basically being fired um, before the race even got started. Um, I just, I don't understand. I don't understand that at all. Um, and of course we have that quote from Elaine Prost. I'm not even going to get into it um, because Elaine Prost was part of the reason he, he's, He has his own fair share to blame for the, the the woes and the issues that plague Renault and Alpine. Um, you know, he's Alain has never been a person who a very personable uh, person. You know, he doesn't always he doesn't get along with everyone. He's not a team player, um, and those are the kinds of people. Like with Elaine and Rossi, you if you have those people in management, you're gonna go nowhere. Um, and again, like I said last week, and Rossi was Rossi's pick. Rossi's hiring was stupid, um, and his and 
that that quote that he made about how everyone everyone's head everyone is basically fireable except for him really showed his true colors and what how his management style so i agree with elaine on on his kind of um, what he said about rossi but i think he deserves some of the blame as well um and uh Thank kudos to uh, Scott Mitchell Mom and the race.com. They actually pulled up this stagger. I was actually watching the video and this is absolutely staggering. Um, just from 2018. So they're the F1 project leader, um, which is basically the CEO has changed three times since 2018 team principal, Again, three times they have the chief technical officer has changed twice. A technical director, three times. Head of Arrow, twice. Sporting director has been Alan Bermain. He's basically been the only mainstay, and now he's gone. Um, and their engine boss has changed twice. And again, that's just from 2018. So in the span of six years... They've had basically most of their leadership roles have a 50% turnover rate, if I'm doing my math right. I'm probably not because I suck at math, but you kind of get the point, is that this team has had no continuity, no consistency, and everyone's kind of one, and everyone in Renault is kind of wondering why. Well, shit. When you have all these mo- all these changes at the top, at the at the leadership level, yeah, you're not you're going to get pulled in. So just you know, for team principal and project leader, you got a serial beatable Laurent Rossi and Bruno Famine. Now, granted, Bruno Famine. He was just appointed, but you know that's three different that's three different ideologies, three different trains of thought, and you have this organization that is pouring hundreds of millions of dollars every year, and you got these project leaders, see these CEOs and, and team principals that come and go. Well, where 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 has that money gone? And I think with Alpine, it's fair to say that it's been fucking wasted. Now, a lot of the a lot of the finger pointing is going towards um, DeMeo. I think that's what is who's the who's the head of um, Alpine and slash Renault, and justifiably so. You know, you look at and, and it doesn't. You don't have to look very far to see what happens when you have continuity. You look at Toto Wolf. You look at Christian Horner. Um, Granted, they have some, they've had a lot of success with some very brilliant minds, Christian Horner with, with Adrian Newey. I don't think that team would be anywhere anywhere close to what they are today without Adrian Newey. But again, the point is the continuity. You look at the teams that don't have continuity, they're struggling. Williams, Ferrari, Renault, Aston Martin 
is kind of, it's it's on an upward trend, but I think they're just one big Lawrence Stroll tirade away from being in the same boat as, as for, as Ferrari and, and Alpine. Um, But that remains to be seen. But getting back to Alpine, you know, you got all these, you got all these changes. And again, credit to the race, they <laughs> they really laid it on 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 Alpine, and I don't and and justifiably so, because uh, they basically said that Bruno Famine in his introductory press conference said the word project sixteen times, because to them, to Alpine, this is all this is is a project. And it's been a project since 2013. I mean, how many projects, how many projects go a decade with basically no net gain? Like, how how is this still a project? Um, and the other thing too is that they they've they're doing all this PR corporate bullshit wordage that is just so weak that everyone's seeing through it. Cause at first they said it was a five in 2013, they said it was a five-year plan. And then at, when Rossi came in, it went from a five-year plan to a hundred race plan. Well, okay. So <laughs> oh, the uh, five-year plan is not working. Uh, we need to find a different word. Oh, I know. Let's do a hundred, well, one hundred race uh, plan. <laughs> and what happened? And, and what happens after the hundred race? I don't know. I won't be here. I, I know. I won't be here, so I don't give a fuck. All I care about is me keeping my job for as long as possible, and then fuck you and you fire me. I mean, that's. It, it frustrates me to see all these. <laughs> and speaking of frustration, I I'll talk about Will Bucks in in a second, but it, it frustrates me and it hurts to see the pit crew guys, all the guys that are not in leadership. You know the the the, the men and women who work their asses off day in. Day out, night in, night out, they they make all these sacrifices, and you have the most incompetent, narcissistic leadership that you can have in a racing organ in a global racing organization, jerking you around year in and year out. You know, like the the lyric from the Who: "Meet the new boss, same as the old boss." That's what Alpine is. Oh, this guy, this guy, he is not doing his job right. He is an idiot. Uh, he is he is useless. He is like your Americans who do not know how to race. Fuck you. Get the other one in. Three years later, they're saying the same shit. I just. You know, and uh, the race brought up a good point. Should they sell the team? I think they should. You know, and I think a lot of this has to deal with the fa- do with the fact that that um, 
that Renault is is a partially private is partially government owned. You know, they're they're a government owned car company. So you they it's not so much about it's about profits. It's about it's about profit margins. It's about advertising. It's about PR with them. And you know the dumbest thing the dumbest thing that that any company can do is get into a is get into racing to to kickstart. Their 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 company, you know, and that was the whole point of Renault changing the name of their F one team to Alpine because they wanted Alpine to be. They were they either wanted to change they either wanted to to replace Renault with Alpine or make Alpine, um, like uh, it's very own performance division. Um. And obviously they haven't done that because they put they put all their chips in on F one to spearhead this, and it's failing. And it, just why why they did this, I don't know. You know, yes, Formula One is the biggest global motorsport in the world. But <laughs> there's a reason why manufacturers come and go with the ebbs and flows of the rules and regulations. And there's a reason why a lot of them, a lot of them don't make it. They either, they either leave because it's becoming too expensive or in the case of Toyota, they leave because they got into it and had zero fucking idea of what they were getting into. And... To me, this to me, Alpine, Alpine Renault is is the most stretched out version of Toyota. F uh, uh, of Toyota F one, and I think everyone would be better off if they just sold the team. And I don't know if any of y'all have heard. But there's this American team, an American manufacturer, who's trying to get an F1. And it would make a lot of sense for all parties involved if Andretti Autosport and Cadillac took over or bought out Alpine. It's a win-win situation in my book. Then Alpine can can fuck off and go into and focus on, on, on the WEC and GT racing and build their brand that way instead of wasting all of our everyone's time and all that money into a project a quote unquote project that has not yielded anything and you know what while I'm on the subject I want to see what their stats are cuz I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be that surprised But I also like making sure that I'm not just talking out of my ass. Most of the time. So. Let's just see. Yeah. So since 20. hmm. 
So since 2021, so the past three years, they have not finished higher than fourth. Um, let's go to, let's change it to Hano. Maybe, possibly, we're going to do this. No. Okay. Well, fuck me then. Let's try this. All right. There we go. All right. So since they came back in 2016, they have not finished higher than fourth. So, from 2016 to 2020... Ninth, sixth, fourth, fifth, fifth, and then I think in. Let's go back here. Ah, fuck. So twenty twenty one. Um. Okay, that's a little bit of a typo. They have three hundred eighty five points. Okay, whatever. Basically, and twenty twenty so. Oh, that's why there's a little bit, they, oh, God, I'm retarded. So 2021, fifth, 2022, fourth, 2023, sixth. So they have been the fifth, the fifth best manufacturer on the grid since they came back in 2020 or 2016. I, 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 I don't get it. I really don't get it. I hope that. Um, and and this new and this this new hierarchy that they got, where uh, Bruno Famine, he's not going to be the team principal. He's going to be, I think they called him the VP of Race Direction or some fucking bullshit title that they just fucking pulled out of their ass and made up. But they still have to hire a team principal. So the team principal is going to is going to um, answer to to to. To Farman, Famine, whatever the fuck his name is, and then he's going to answer to the new CEO um, of Alpine, and, and 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 that's the other thing. Like, why do you have this? Per- Quit making titles up. Like Dav- Davide Brivio, they they've got him doing some some stupid ass side project where he's like the the development the head of of. Um, recruiting driver some shit. Basically, he's 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 your talent guy. That's all he looks for. And in all honesty, I think I don't I don't think that'd be a bad idea if Davide Brivio were to um be promoted team principal, get rid of and just have like the straight line. Have him report directly to um the CEO. I'm sorry, Bruno Famine is, is the CEO. So who the fuck did they name? Anyway, but yeah, yeah just if that or have, you know, yeah, I, the, the way that some of these teams structure their leadership is, is questionable. You know, motorsports is where autocratic... Autocracy works. 
where you have one person making all the decisions, the buck stops there, you don't have you don't have the team principal reporting to the project quote unquote project leader who then reports to the CEO. The team principal should be the project leader and the CEO. If anything, you have um, all these other guys like you know an executive director. What the fuck is that? But you have the racing director, chief chief technical officer, um, head of arrow and head of engines. You know, all those four people will report to the team principal. That that's how that works. You don't have these executive, these executive directors or assistant to the to the assistant seat assistant to the CEO or whatever. You don't have these bullshit titles with these people who have zero idea of how to run a race team, or they have a little little a small idea of how to run a race team. But they they have these jobs where all they are is an intermediate, like an intermediary, or or the middleman, because that that's how these that's how these directions get the communication gets lost and, and the direction the true direction gets shoved off course either intentionally or not intentionally. Um, And I've heard that there that um, Matteo Bonato, his name has popped up. I think that'd be a stupid idea um, for Alpine to hire him, given how he's how he ran F Ferrari and what he did or didn't do um, to try to make that team better. Um. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be interesting to see wh- who they hire, the moves that they make, um, and where it goes from here. And obviously, I haven't talked about Fernando Alonso and Oscar Piastri leaving the team because obviously, a lo- both of those moves or lack thereof just was a highlight of the mismanagement of that team. Um, and then just to slight, and I'm just going to maybe lightly touch on this, but the Will Buxton comment about him thinking that the team has quit is just, no, it's, it's stupid. It's the most asinine comment that you can make. Like, what com- what competitor, what competitor, whether it's individual or or a group, quits during the competition? I want to know. You know this team, the, the this team. Granted, they've made mistakes, but so has Ferrari. Now, there's a reason why I don't listen to Will Buxton. But has he made the same comments about Ferrari? Or is he just talking out of his ass again because of all these moves that, that they've made? But I think it's extremely disrespectful and stupid to suggest that the pit crew has quit. If anything, if, if they're going to show their frustration, they're not going to do it 
by hanging their driver, by leaving their driver out there sitting in the pit box for 30, 40 seconds waiting for a front wing. They're not going to do that. What they are going to do is probably want to sit with Bruno Famine or DeMeo, have him have them come into the garage and have a heart-to-heart conversation, voice their frustrations. That's what they're going to do. They're not going to fucking quit when the whole world is watching. They're not going to show their frustrations by dis- by torpedoing their driver's chances. Absolutely fucking stupid. Um, but again, this is the first time that Will Buxton has talked out of his ass. Um, he's actually blocked me on Twitter. Um, and, you know, just kind of get into that a little bit. You know, he's, and to get a little political, he's made these comments about, um, obviously the gun violence here in America. And like a lot of idiots, he's basically, he's basically called for the ban of all guns. He doesn't, he doesn't understand why we need to have these guns, blah, blah, blah. You don't understand. And I, and I, and I tried to be respectful because at one point I liked him. I respect him. I thought he was a cool guy. So what I did is I said, hey, you know what? Why don't you talk to me, an American who owns several guns, and I'll explain to you, help you understand. Maybe even come to a middle ground. But he kept fucking going off like a, like a dumbass. And I finally just said, dude, quit being an idiot and talking out of your ass. And maybe you might understand. And maybe you might understand the American culture. And then he blocked me. So. I respect people's opinions regardless of. Well, I shouldn't say that. Everyone is entitled to their opinion. Now, whether they get canceled or not because of the opinion they make, that's their decision. But just just kind of like what I'm doing right now is I'm think I'm thinking about what I'm going to say before I'm going to say it. That doesn't cost anybody anything but time. So, and, and this kind of reverts back to, to, to Alpine. Before making these knee-jerk reactions, and this is just a generalization, before making these, knee, these knee-jerk reactions, comments, maybe take a few seconds, a few minutes, just take a step back, and try to see the forest before the tree. Because if you're just focused on the tree and you say burn that motherfucker down and you don't see the forest, well, guess what? Guess what? Now the whole forest is on fire and you just want to get rid of that one tree. Um, <laughs> it's been a little tirade, 30, half, hour, half hour plus tirade. Um, 
I'm going to wrap it up here. Um, so the other thing that came up on on my feed is um, Total Wolf, and this is courtesy of Autosport.com and Jonathan Noble. Um, Total Wolf says, Formula One risk catastrophe if any moves to equalize engines ends up in a balanced performance approach. And I'm just going to read this article um, and do a live reaction on it. Uh, The FIA table discussions at this weekend's F1 commission meeting to evaluate whether action needed to be taken in balancing the performance of engines to help out Alpine, supply or Renault. Excuse me. It is understood that the Renault engine could be as much as 30 horsepower down, blah, 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 blah. The matter was passed down about our own. Um... But as the evaluation process begins, Wolf has made it clear that any actions that would impact the performance of everyone would bankrupt F1's meritocracy. Entertainment follows sport, and why the sport is so credible is because you have, you have just got to work hard to be successful, explained Wolf. If you're falling back as an engine supplier and your engine isn't as performant as others, that's obviously everybody's problem. But at the same time, with a frozen engine, we don't want to lose out on giving someone opportunities. But it needs to be done in a merit- meritocratic way. And for that, we have a rule in the 2026 power unit regulations that if one power unit will drop out of 3% below the top power unit, then the teams would sit down in good faith and debate what could be done. Yeah, <laughs> uh-huh. good faith, right. And once we have a common understanding of what their lack of performance is, we need to discuss how much more dino hours and development jokers can be given. And that is something that we are, that we are to debate. But touching any kind of fuel flow or BOP is a catastrophe and bankruptcy declaration for F1. It should never be, even be talked about. Yeah. Um... I don't know if he's seen Formula E or any other racing outside of F1, but balancing of performance, spec cars, spec series, it kind of makes the racing entertaining. Maybe he should do a little bit more research before making an opinion. Um, and I, I think that he's saying this because he doesn't want to lose an edge. Um, and this whole thing of negotiating good faith, that's, that's total fucking bullshit. In Formula One, there is no good faith negotiations. And if there is, this is their, this is their version of being good faith is pretty much firing a warning shot across everyone's bow That's their version of good faith. Um, but again, and I talked about it last week, so I'm not going to go over it. But what I will say is that BOP isn't that bad of an idea. And it's not that bad of a rule. Now, granted, in IMSA, um, it is used as a marketing tool. Um, and I've talked about this in 
previous podcast, but just to kind of give you, um, give the new listeners just a very brief overview. Um, there are races that have been won by the same manufacturer year in and year out, and the BOP does not change. For instance, the the races the race that was held in Bell Island, Detroit, has always been won by Cadillac. Why? Because it just so happens that in Detroit, General Motors headquartered is headquartered there. The racetrack that they, the old racetrack and even the new racetrack that that they race on, is right next to the fucking headquarters. Um, and on the flip side, you have racetracks that Acura has one on year in and year out, and no BOP changes have been made. And the same goes for um, for GT racing, because obviously with, with Cadillac and, and uh, Acura, I'm talking about prototypes. But it, it's just across the board. So BOP works when it is used correctly. And I think that just goes for a lot of things, not just in racing, but in society. Systems work. The cogs in it, a.k.a. the people, are the ones that make it fucking broken. Um, and most of you know my, my, my stance on this. I don't mind spec series. I don't mind having BOP because, like I said, that shit works. It makes the races entertaining. And just like with IMSA, you can have the same chassis. Like all the prototypes are, or I believe there are two chassis. They're either Orica or Delara. But they don't, none of them look the same. So you can have the same chassis. You can have a spec chassis and then have what IMSA calls design cues to make to make the accuracy look look like Acura's, the Cadillacs look like Cadillacs, BMWs look like BMWs, and Porsches look like Porsches. There are ways to make, to, there, there are ways to, to appease both parties. One maybe more so than the other. Because obviously Toto doesn't want, doesn't want BOP, and I'm sure, I'm pretty sure Christian doesn't want it either. But the FIA can't have these two, these, they cannot have team principals and teams holding themselves hostage. Now, obviously, Ferrari, Ferrari can because they're the only team that has veto power. But even then, I think, if anything, they would be one of the teams who would want a BOP uh, because, obviously, they can't build an engine. They can't build an engine that beats Red Bull or Mercedes without making it an illegal engine. <coughs> But, um, yeah, it's, Toto's just, he's just being political about it. Um, but I also don't think that a team like Alpine, who, as I just went on this half hour, just uh, rant about, who's been mismanaged as fuck, should get a handout. And I'm not going to get started on Han and Yamaha because that's the road we're getting us. So I'm, I'm going to steer away from it. I'm going to try, try to end this podcast on a positive note because um, it is almost five in the morning. Um, so, and we're almost at a 45 minute, and we're almost at 45 minutes. So, 
It is officially race week for MotoGP. MotoGP is back. There isn't a whole lot of news to talk about on MotoGP. Um, the only stuff I see is from Crash.net and their clickbait fuckers. So I'm not going to give them any time. Um, so we have the British Grand Prix coming up. Um, and then after that is Austria. Oh, man. So, <laughs> so we waited five. We waited over a month for, for a race. We get we went, we waited a month over a month for a race. And then after, after Britain, we got, let's see here. Let me pull up my calendar. We have a week, almost two weeks off. Ugh. Anyway. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how a lot of these teams and writers bounce back, uh, after the five week hiatus. Obviously, there wasn't a whole lot of news um, that happened over the summer break, which, you know, it is what it is. But, um, yeah, so next next Sunday slash Monday morning, Monday afternoon, wherever, you, wherever, wherever you're listening to, um, I'll talk about the British Grand Prix and whatever hop, the MotoGP British Grand Prix, um, talk about all that, the news and any drama any drama rumors that have that have arisen because of the race and maybe F1 news. Uh, see who um, CFO Renault decided that they wanted to uh, pick someone from from Walmart corporate because, you know, fuck you. Oh, you are the French. We do whatever we want. You can go fuck yourself. Anyway, <laughs> so until until we meet again, Stay safe, and I'll catch you on the flip side.